on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. We bring you the latest news from OU training camp, including some notes from OU's first scrimmage. Then Josh Pate joins us to share some of his boldest predictions heading into the 2022 college football season. And we finish up with our winners and losers of the weekend. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those and you'll find us. All right. Our man, Michael Hostey, will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Monday, August 15th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about the gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of August, visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now we're recording this Sunday night. Please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. How we doing, Mr. Layman? Fantastic. Cannot complain. Everything is good. Weekend was good. Uh, we're getting close, man. We're getting really close. We, we're getting really close. And we've got our man Josh Pate on this episode. We, we've been holding on to this interview. We've been making the people wait. And now... Now they will get to experience the brilliance of one of the fastest rising stars in all of college football media. It's going to be good, man. He does a really, really good job. He does. But like like you said, it's close. And, and when you start getting close to the season, scrimmages start happening. So let's get into the OU stuff, man. O, OU had their first scrimmage of training camp on Saturday. Uh, Brent Venables apparently lost his mind and allowed former players to come along with their family members to come and watch the team scrimmage. Ted, you were there. I would have been there if I wasn't out of town. What, what, ha- what is going on? Is this legal? Can this happen? I don't know. It's wild. I think players, families were there too. Um, it was, it was good. It was cool. It was great. They were out there. They got, see, they actually started, uh, the scrimmage actually started about 11 o'clock. So um, they were right there on the game field. They did, they they took a lot of snaps. You know, they were, they were going pretty good. They, uh, they got out there, got warmed up, did a quick little individual period, and then they were getting it on. So 
you know, I've, I've been out there twice now and, you know, even in, in the, the first full pad practice on Thursday, plenty of live action, bringing them all the way to the ground. And it's refreshing to see that is they've been super, super physical this camp. And you're, you're hoping that pays off now, just thinking about, you know, hearing some of the things about the scrimmage, maybe the most important thing, right. Is came out of it healthy, right? No, yeah. nothing, nothing major on the injury front. Yeah. Um, I, that's going to be one of the things to watch for them. You know, I feel at some positions they're, they're really deep and others, not as much in, you know, it's it's something that you've got to fight every year and you never know what happens if someone gets hurt and another guy gets an opportunity and can grow into that role but yeah this is going to be one of those years where you know whenever you're learning a new offense and a new defense and a starter goes down you're not just putting an inexperienced guy in there you're putting a guy that is inexperienced and he's still just trying to come to terms with the new scheme so yeah They've dodged it for the most part that I that I know of so far. That's a good thing, knock on wood, because you just you never know. It's a day to day thing in football. Yeah, it's a physical game. Injuries happen and you know, I'm sure there'll be some guys that get banged up at some point, miss practice here and there. That's just that's just part of it. But so far, so good. So with what you were able to kind of watch in the scrimmage, what what really stood out to you, man? Where do you want to start? Offense, defense. Let's, uh, let's Kirk start bombs. Let's start with defense because from what I was told, right when when the scrimmage started, when it was the move the ball situations, right where you're actually basically simulating a game and you're not getting into your situational red zone, third and long, that type of stuff. I was told the defense controlled things in that yeah. portion, kind of the first half of the scrimmage when it was move the ball that the defense, the defense got after the offense. Yeah, I think they did well. Uh, some of the critical things were they stopped the run pretty good on early downs. Um, like they had a couple of big play opportunities, the offense that they couldn't uh, cash in on uh, Dylan Gabriel through, I think, I think, the defense pressured him and Mims had a one-on-one and I'm not sure who was defending him, but it was great coverage. But Dylan Gabriel put a ball like right over the defender's shoulder and into Mims's hands. He just, he had it, but whenever he rolled over with the ball, he lost it. Um, that would have been a big play for him. They had a back, they threw a swing route to a back uh, on a, not it wasn't necessarily a gadget play. It was something that they built off of uh, another concept that they did earlier. And wide open back, dropped the ball, and it would have been a really big gain. But as far as like some consistent stuff, the defense looked good. You know the the, the most critical thing is tackling. It's it's the the tackling is noticeably different. Now, is that going to hold through the season? I can't say, but. You just you don't see offensive players running through tackles. You don't see guys diving at legs, coming up empty-handed. Good physical tackles, group tackling, guys flying to the football. Pretty good all-around team defense. So 
just sticking with the defensive stuff, were there any guys that, you know, kind of had some splash plays where you're like, whoa, okay. Um, you know, not really. Whenever you've got a lot of times when you're playing great defense, it can look kind of boring. You know, um, I think, I think Deshaun White is, I think he's poised to have his best season as a Sooner. Um, they found a spot for him that he's really settled into, you know, using all of his experience and, you know, I don't know that they thought that this is where he was going to play, bumping him out outside the box some, but he's done a really good job there. I like what I've seen from Aguebu. Aguebu has stepped his game up quite a bit. He, he to me, looks like the leader of the inside backers. Um, on the back end, the standout to me is Justin Harrington. He's standout. Now, you got, you got a good competition going at corner. You got several different guys rolling through at corner that um, all, are all having their moments. On the back end, Bowman, Key Lawrence. But Justin Harrington's the guy that just keeps popping off to me. I mean, just a big, tall, athletic freak running around out there. And they've got some really good got cool spots that they've put him in defensively. And the D-line, I, I just think it's overall incredibly um, – like consistent, I think they're they're deep in a sense that they could put uh, any number of guys in there and not have any real fall off. Do they have anyone that's just blowing people away right now? There's a couple of guys like in some like situational type things. Like they've got a couple of young pass rushers that are really good, but that's like in in pass rush drills, which is totally different whenever you're out there in the game and, and and teams know how to neutralize you. But when you just look at the D-line across the board, Reggie Grimes, Ethan Downs, Stripling, uh, Johnson from, uh, from Tulane, Ellison, um, Isaiah Coe, uh, the young kid, 56, the true freshman play, playing inside. Grayson Holton, maybe, I think is his name, something like that. He, The two days I've been there, he's made a bunch of plays. There's just a bunch. Of, Kevin Gilliam is is put on a ton of weight. And he's he's playing really well out there. It's just there's there's just a big group of guys that are giving you good, solid play. Yeah, and, and one of the names that you didn't just say there, Jalen Redmond, uh, banged up again. Right. So yep. we'll it, it doesn't sound like it's anything too serious and he'll be back on the practice field pretty soon. But it, it you sound you sound encouraged about the defense, man. I am. I you know, I think that there's I think there's gonna be stretches where this defense looks really good. And I think there could be stretches where maybe they're frustrating because and it's still it's still early in camp. You know, I, I don't know when when the halfway point is or whatever, but, you know, the, there's it's still a learning curve. And what Biddables does on defense is incredibly demanding. It's demanding on everyone out there. And there's there's a lot of really nuanced alignments, adjustments, like where you need to be whenever the ball snapped, and, and they're working their way through that. But I think the biggest thing is tackling. Like that's that's what I'm most impressed with is that 
this group is tackling way better. And it doesn't seem that it's – it shouldn't be that shocking. They tackled more than I've ever seen them in the spring. They're tackling more than I've ever seen them right now in training camp. What does that produce? Better tacklers. And you, you're so far right now from what I've seen, it's showing up. Yeah, and that is – Tackling is kind of the whole thing on defense. So if you're a great tackling, yeah, if you're a great tackling team, you're going to play great defense. Okay, so with with what you've been able to see, what's kind of stood out to you offensively? Young wideouts. Um, the Anderson kid, Jaden Gibson, Gavin Freeman. Those three guys are are really, really good. Really, really good. Uh, Jaden Gibson with that 6'5 and that long reach and incredibly athletic, runs good for a young kid, runs really good, sharp, crisp routes. He's going to be a problem. Same thing with Anderson. He's going to be a problem. And then uh, you, you just – between those guys and Mims, Drake Stoops, um, Farouk, they're they're just they're deep at wide receiver, man. Weiss. Yeah, yeah. Theo Weiss. They're they're just they're deep at wide receiver. And I know that everyone was talking about we lost a bunch of guys at wide receiver. Well, receiver, at least I guess, you know, I say this now could be uh, something we're looking back at and laughing, but I just I just can't imagine wide receiver not being a really strong point for this offense. No, and I'm with you. And clearly, a lot of that is directly connected to Dylan Gabriel, right? And this this is no surprise, but sounds like they're really pleased where he's at as as the starting quarterback. And you know, one of our biggest questions heading into camp was their situation at backup quarterback, right? QB two, and it seems like they're feeling much better about that after some of the things they've seen from Bevel and Booty so far in camp. And clearly, Dylan Gabriel's got to stay healthy if this football team wants to be the best version it can be. But I do think if one of those guys got thrown in a, let's just call it like a spot start situation, they can they can operate the offense, and, and they, feel, they feel good about those guys doing that. Yeah it's hard because a lot of times I'm, I don't even – it's hard to even pay attention to who's playing quarterback whenever you're watching other things. You're but, such a linebacker, man. <laughs> don't even... what I've seen, it seems like Bevel's been the guy that has uh, that I've seen produce the most uh, outside of Gabriel. Don't take that for anything. It's just kind of what I have noticed. Um, the other thing is he is huge. He's gigantic out there. It looks weird whenever he's running around at quarterback. Dude is massive. Who but, um, who has put the tight end at yeah, quarterback? He uh, he's and the blue jersey probably makes it look worse and they've got the rib protectors on. He just he looks huge out there, but he's looked pretty good. He moves around better than you might think. Um good live arm. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, obviously if you get to your backup quarterback, you're hoping it's it's a it's a couple of series to finish out a half or it's a, 
you know, close a game out situation, something like that. You don't you clearly to, to go to a guy like that it, to finish a season is, is never what you want. But I think that they're, they've come a long way there as they've got into camp and could really, you know, it's just, it's, it's never the same in spring and it's never the same in summer whenever you're working with, with the coaching staff and walking through and, once you, once you get out there and start really pressing these guys under under pressure situations, that's whenever you find out a lot more. And let me tell you something: uh, these practices, it is a pressure cooker for everyone involved, equipment guys, coaches, coordinators. Everyone is under the gun of Brent Venables. It's fun uh, to watch. It's fun yeah. to watch. It's not fun for those guys, I'm sure. It, it It's fun to watch from a distance. That's you don't right. want to get too close because then he'll start yelling at you. Uh, I, I found that out in, in the spring. <laughs> but if – okay, one of the other things, you know, we're all, we're all hoping is that this offensive line comes together, right? And while it, it may have not gone perfectly for him early in the scrimmage against the defense – there are some really positive thoughts coming out of training camp up to this point when it comes to the offensive line. So with what with what you've been able to see, how are the big boys looking up front? They look they look really, really good. Really, really good. When I went to the first practice on Thursday, I, you know, just kind of making the rounds, talking to some of the coaches and stuff and Pretty much everyone said the same thing. The offensive line is the strength of the team, which, you know, that is – that's what you want. That's what Makes you want. Makes me want to cry. And they're deep. They're deep. They 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 feel like they've got eight or even ten guys that they really like. Um, Savion Bird is – it sounds like he is the attitude of the group and just, you know – wrecking people on the inside they really like how the young tackles have performed and i think you know because of all of that the older the older guys have gotten in gear right the the guys that have been around that felt like maybe they're locked into starting jobs i don't think that's so clear anymore and and you're starting to get some really good competition out there and that's made the whole group really level up their play and they they're they're performing really good. I think I think the scheme and the system is is something that they've really settled into nicely. Yeah, and you just you know just from some of the things I've been told, Anton Harrison just playing much better now. They're still trying to get him to play with kind of that dog mentality all the time, right? And he's not quite there yet, but they they feel like he can get there. And he can be a special player. And then, you know, Andrew Rame, I think that center position is pivotal. And he's he's gained a lot of strength. I think he's way more confident than he was last year. And I, I think he knows what he's doing. He's improved. Now, is is he where they want him to be from a strength standpoint? No, but he's made some serious improvement. And the guy, the guy plays his ass off. You you can you can make up some of those strength deficiencies if if you're playing really, really hard. And that's what it sounds like Rame is doing. The name that I keep hearing when it just comes to a guy, you know exactly what you're gonna get from 
is McCade Matar. I guess he is just at smart, understands leverage. Like you just talk about a guy, you know what you're consistently getting from every single practice. It sounds like McCade is that guy. And then Chris Murray, now he hasn't gotten any taller. Those arms haven't gotten any longer. But you know, when I've had some of these conversations, like, hey, who's having a good camp on the O-line? Chris Murray's name cups up, comes up earlier early in that conversation every single time. And I think it has a lot to do with that kid. He cares, man. He cares. He takes pride in what he's doing out there. Wanya Morris showing more toughness. I was told he's practicing through some things right now that would have held him out last year. And, and when we talk about developing the mental and physical toughness with Schmitty in the weight room and that type of stuff and guys not wanting to miss practice and all that. That's exactly what we're talking about. And yep. he's battling through it and he's still practicing at a high level. So yep. you, you look at that, you know, Tyler Guyton, one of the freakiest dudes on the team, like as he continues to develop the technique and understand what playing O-line is all about, like he's going to be an absolute beast. But I, I'm really excited about this, about everything I'm hearing about this group up front. I don't know about you, man, but there's still part of me. It's like, okay, I feel like I've heard this the last couple of years. Now, the thing about this and makes it a little different is I believe in the running game that, that Levy's gonna, gonna dial up in the season. Like it's, it's what I actually believe in. I I'm a zone concept guy. And I will be till the day I die. So there is that. But I'm I'm approaching this with cautious optimism, Ted. That's that's kind of where where I'm at with it. Yeah, and hey, I understand that. And you know, sometimes in 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 practice and in scrimmages, it's just kind of hard to tell. Right. When you're watching it live, you you have to watch film really to be able to tell exactly what's going on. I mean, you can get a general idea of kind of who's winning the drill and who's not, but but it's just it's just from the casual observer from the outside, it can be difficult to to really dial in on on much of anything when there's 22 guys on the field at one time and you get one one shot at it, you know, to to see what went down. But overall, it it looks pretty good. I'll tell you one of the things that. I think is really helping out the 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 run game and the offensive line, buddy. When they're in twelve personnel, and they've got uh, nine and twenty two on the field, Parker and uh, Braden Willis, they those two guys are getting after people's asses in the in the running game. It's that is going to be an awesome we- weapon for this offense. That those two guys. Are, are killers they understand exactly what their role is and they're that they, right now they are what you got two two fifth year senior guys at tied in that are just loving blocking and getting after guys on the edge and getting after you know backers and nickels downfield uh, on the perimeter on some of like your bubble and tunnel stuff though those guys are uh they're fantastic yeah what a what about the? I think we've covered everything except for running back, right? Eric Gray continues to be 
you know, kind of the guy, but it didn't happen in the scrimmage. But I think it was that first padded day, just Marcus Major ripping off 60 yard runs. <laughs> like it, he is, it seems like he's finally getting there health wise. Yeah, I think so. You know, what's funny is they went from where I thought they were all undersized except for Marcus Major to where they almost all of them now look like Marcus Major. <laughs> Eric Gray seems like he's way thicker than he was a year ago. Um, Tawi Walker is is like a just a muscle walking around out there. I I to myself and I haven't been there very much so this this doesn't really, don't take this as anything but I haven't really seen anyone separate themselves to where I'm like wow that is the best guy they've got I haven't seen that yet but again very small sample size for me coaches probably feel really really good about that pecking order and, and who's going to get how many carries and and on down the line yeah and there's Javante Barnes missed a little time, but nothing sounds like nothing too serious. So overall where this team is at right now in training camp, seems like they've gotten a lot of great work in and they have stayed as healthy as you can ask for with, with the type of approach they're taking on the practice field. I will say one thing. It's hilarious seeing the injury tent up again over at the rugby fields. Guys, guys do not, you do not want to be in that tent with Jerry Schmidt, all of practice. It is miserable. So the, you're going to see guys try to get back on the field. If they're banged up a little bit, you're going to see them try to get back on the field as quickly as possible because going through practice is a much more enjoyable experience than spending all of practice with Schmidt in the injury tent. And that is, that is where joy goes to die. There's no doubt about it. It was funny during the scrimmage just seeing players in full pads walking up and down the uh the stadium bleachers, you know, as the uh as the practice is going on. It's pretty funny. But yeah, they I think everything up to this point going pretty well. Um obviously there's the coaches would tell you that they're not anywhere close to where they need to be and there's some some a bunch of critical mistakes that are happening. And, that, and I'm sure that all of that is true, but I think all in all been a pretty good positive camp so far. Yeah. All right. Let's get to call your shot. And we asked you guys, what was the most important thing that happened this weekend for OU football? Uh, this first one comes from Andrew Garrell, Garrell, Andrew Garrell, Garrell, one or the other. I'm sorry, Andrew, but he says Jacoby Johnson committing this weekend shows that Venables and co are more than capable of recruiting highly sought after homegrown Sooners. This is not only a great thing for this, this weekend, but this is also, this also shows a promising future for in-state recruiting the pride of Mustang, Jacoby Johnson, a guy that is ranked the 87th overall player in the 24 seven sports composite. And I actually, I think ESPN has got him as like their number 43 overall player uh he he's staying home he is committed to oklahoma over alabama and michigan we've talked a lot about the need for ou to 
own the top talent in this state to keep them here. And that's what seems like happening. I know he hasn't signed anything, but that seems what's going on here with Jacoby Johnson. That was, that was big, man. I was fired up when I saw it. Yeah. And his kid's supposed to be a stud, uh, got great size, great athleticism. And again, um, Alabama and Michigan is who you're going up against Oklahoma in previous years, especially for guys that could be viewed as a defensive player. I know he's listed as an athlete, right? But most projections are corner is, you know, that's what I've heard. I, I don't know if that's true, but going up against some of these other schools, we have not had success pulling in these type of players against them. So yeah, I think that's another big win. And, you know, if everything holds and you can, you can lock all the guys up that you have committed now. And, and there's a couple out there that you, I guess, haven't been announced or haven't committed yet that you feel pretty good about. It could end up being a really, really strong first class for Venables. Yeah. And also saw Jaquez Petaway put something out there basically saying, Hey, uh, I'm, I'm still committed to Oklahoma, which, which made a lot of people feel feel much better about that situation. We've got one more, and I thought this was really cool. It, it came from at Bad12Attitude on Twitter. He said, Jacoby Johnson committing was great, but the photo session the players did at practice was life-changing for those special needs kids involved. Awesome stuff and makes me proud to be an alumni. That's, that, that's what it's all about, man. Uh, stuff with the Special Olympics kids uh the special spectators man that is it's one of the cooler things that OU football has done for a long long time and it, it always brings me joy seeing those videos and those pictures when they're able to make it out of practice so yeah that that brought a big smile to my face man yeah it was great I was there for that and it was great because I saw I saw Venables go from a 10-minute chew-out session on the team with everyone involved players coaches everyone no no person was spared to they broke that huddle instantly he's big smile on his face going over there and shaking hands and all the players were really engaged with it that's really cool it's really cool hard work whenever you're out on the field but as soon as it's over um you know back to you know developing relationships, being a part of the community. Awesome stuff. Yeah. All right. Birthday shout outs. Welcome to the world. Cole Forrest Stanley. How about that? Happy ninth birthday to, oh my gosh. Jaxie? Romine? Romines? Yeah, that seems right. Jaxie Romines. Jaxie Romines. Okay. Romines Romines. (laughs) It's got to be either one of those. Yeah. Happy birthday, Jaxie. Happy ninth birthday to Aubrey Michelle Wilson. Happy ninth birthday to Samantha Calfee. Happy upcoming 16th birthday to Alexis McKenzie Wilson. Happy 19th birthday to Jacob Porter Harrison. Happy 24th birthday to Matthew Jennings. Happy 29th birthday to Josh James. Happy 29th birthday to Joshua Schmidt. Happy 30th birthday to Kate Brandon. Happy 32nd birthday to Kaylee Brittner. Bittner. 
I think I added an art. Yep. Kaylee Bittner. I'm sorry, Kaylee. Happy birthday. <laughs> Happy 58th birthday to Bobby Dooley. Happy 69th nice. birthday to Larry Ring. Happy 17th anniversary to Luke and Kate Neighbors. Happy 39th anniversary to Michelle and Jonathan. Happy 41st anniversary to Harry and Julia Taylor. And happy 42nd anniversary to Phil and Cindy Neighbors. And let me say this, birthday shout out to my son, Edward. Eighth birthday party today was awesome. He is just the best little kid you could ever imagine. Not little anymore. Can't believe he's turning eight. Love you, buddy. And he's also a giant. (laughs) He is. He is. He's huge. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. All right, let's get to our interview with our man, Josh Pate. But first, the only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 600 locations in 41 states, offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are, Love's has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including, yes, my favorite, Java Amore. That coffee is fantastic. Loves also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile to go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Loves Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Loves Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Loves Travel Stops. For a full list of what Loves has to offer, visit loves.com. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. You still get a discount on all the OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off buttery soft and 10% off. And make sure you send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. With a 12-to-1 student-to-teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join. And as a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Remember, financial aid is available. All right, here he is. Here's Josh Pate. It is our pleasure to be joined by the host of The Late Kick with Josh Pate. He is the fastest rising star in all of college football media. 24-7 sports is his home. Josh Pate is in the house. What's going on, man? Listen to that. Do you hear that? I messed up. Wow. I kind of messed up. Like just, a, I, a, I, it could have been better, but I feel pretty good about it. But what's going on, man? You, you are a busy man now. We're busy. Yeah. So I had to do a talk yesterday, Eichard, about this, about, I, I actually, so listen, I went to Columbus State University, or as we like to call it, the Oklahoma of West Central Georgia. And I went to <laughs> Columbus State. I, I didn't know what I was doing. So I left school for a little while. I didn't even graduate until like my mid twenties and I was on academic expulsion. This is a great story for the kids out there. I was on academic expulsion. This big committee had to meet to let me back into school. I'm getting somewhere with this. So, so like by one vote, 
the committee votes me back in and I ended up graduating, ended up being a good story. But can you imagine what the odds would have been back then if I told you that years later, that same faculty was going to have me be their keynote speaker for like their introduction to the semester. So I was talking to him yesterday and one of the questions the staff asked was, what's your schedule like? That must be such a grind. And I said, well, it is. I don't have a scheduled off day until Thanksgiving. And then the next one's December 23rd. However, as you know, it's not really work if all you're doing is talking about the stuff that you would be doing for fun anyway. And I told them, hey, that, that period of time between me being in school the first time and me being in school the second time, I worked construction, AC installation, and worked in a fabric warehouse. So I would much prefer where I am now to the normal eight or nine hour days in that world. Well, I would ask you an air conditioning question, make sure I've got my units uh, serviced and ready to go, but your specialty now is college football, man, and it's been cool. I I feel like there's been almost a a fairly recent big evolution in, in the way that it's covered. I don't feel like it's ever been as year-round as it is right now. I, it's It's slowly getting almost to the NFL style where you NFL, you've got the combine and then you've got the draft and you got OTAs and there's just like a a calendar to it. And college football doesn't necessarily have that, but it's really turned into a fantastic year. Like you can focus year round on specifically college football. And it didn't feel like you could do that as much in the past. I always thought you could do it. I thought you needed to be a little more creative. Now, it's no, it's no mystery that as the calendar has evolved and as we've had things like the portal and NIL pop up and this year conference realignment last couple of years, actually. Yeah, that helps. But uh, back in 2014, uh, a, a local news station down in Columbus, Georgia, pitched me the idea of doing my own college football show. And it was weird because they, they asked me, hey, do you want to do this weeknights for us? But then they said, okay, you need to sell us on being able to do it year round. It was their idea, but they wanted me to sell them on it. And I, so I I told them how recruiting actually works, um, how spring ball actually works, how the college football calendar could be leveraged. But I tell you what you're talking about there and what happened about six or seven years ago is anybody like me, for example, who did not have the classical media upbringing. I didn't have a degree from Northwestern or Syracuse. I didn't play the game like some of you guys did, for example, or coach the game. And so I didn't have that natural end. I didn't have a family member that owned the media company. We were largely excluded from ever getting our voice heard or ever having it amplified because you needed overhead and you needed distribution. And overhead meant a big fancy studio somewhere and distribution meant well, a syndication deal so that you could get your voice out to the masses. That wasn't happening until platforms like Facebook and platforms like YouTube decided, you know what we can do with our infrastructure? We can stream video. And then podcasting kind of blew up too. And all of a sudden it was like a a multi-Berlin wall effect where everybody all of a sudden had access to what only a few used to have access to. But what it's done is happening in preview magazine culture too. What it's done is you've gotten some challengers from some independent voices. A lot of them aren't qualified. Some of them are qualified. And it gives the audience more freedom of choice. And I think it's good. I think it's been good for our industry as a whole. Um, I think some coaches, when it comes to the year-round nature of college football, would argue that part hasn't been good for our, our well-being and sanity and whatnot. And I think that'll be addressed in time. But it's a really interesting confluence of events. you got far more voices at the table. 
you got more to talk about. And hey, at least in our world, it's been a really good thing. So I, I definitely want to talk to you about, you know, this upcoming 2022 season and everything you're going to have going on. But this last year, right? And, and I, I said it in the intro, you know, half joking, but it, it's true. I, I don't think anyone has has enhanced their brand more than you have in the college football media space over the last year. So what has the last year been like for you? Like what, what has this, what has this ride been like for you? I know it's not slowing down anytime soon. You guys got big plans, but it just has to be, has to be different, man. Right. Because it, and it's not like you were completely unknown, but just the amount of people that are consuming your content over the last year, like it's just, it's taken off, man. What's it been like? Oh, it's been a really, really fun ride. Um, it's been validating, but you know, when I watch the best coaches out there, when I listen to the best leaders out there before I ever touched a microphone. Okay. So this is years back. One of the things I started to realize when they would speak is they would always say, we, 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 when they were talking about success, and they would say I when they were talking about failure. And I realized that. Now, I didn't fully get it yet, but I realized it. And now today, when I am part of a successful product, I totally get it because I know who's behind the scenes. Like I know I know how many people had to sign off to even give me the opportunity to have the platform. I work for CBS. I'm not independent anymore. And yet they give me all the resources, but they don't get in the way. I mean, last night, I kid you not, last night's show was the first time I ever had to even speak to anyone in HR or PR. And that's because we were talking about the TV deal. And there's a lot of red tape around that right now. Otherwise, no one has ever stepped in and so much as suggested me talk about anything. So that's been a godsend. Uh, but it's also here. Here was the deal, Gabe. Two years ago, when we entered COVID, it was one of the worst times a lot of us have ever experienced. Some of us lost family members. But if you just zoom it into sports, and you, you take out all the other real world stuff. Our industry evolved greatly. A lot of stuff changed in our space. It would be ignorant to suggest otherwise. And what happened, you don't have to take a political side on this to acknowledge it. A lot of folks out there in the college football public changed their opinion and changed their desires of who they wanted to listen to because of the avenues that some people went down. I made a conscious effort not to ever let you know what I thought about that stuff and still do today. And it sounds so commonsensical, but we saw such a shift in our traffic two years ago, and we've seen it kind of scale since then, just because we stuck to what we promised you were going to stick to. A lot of folks claim they're going to stick to something. They don't stick to it. We've just stuck to it. And we got a loyal audience and it grows by the tens of thousands every month. It's good stuff. It's impressive. And it's fun to, fun to watch people have success in this industry. Uh, let's talk some football. We got a big season coming up. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot that's, that's kind of teetering on the brink, right? We've got some conference realignment stuff that's going to happen here in the future. We've got, we've got network deals happening. We got, you know, maybe we don't know what the college football playoffs going to look like, but for now this season, at least this season is locked in how we've known college football here for a little while. Who's some of your favorite teams going into the, into the year? I'm scared that I'm talking myself into Michigan. I'm really scared that's happening. And I, I remember last year um, watching them towards the end of the year 
I, I was up there for the Ohio State-Michigan game. I was at their playoff game against Georgia. Those are two different tales. But I remember watching and then thinking, I wonder if this is duplicable. I wonder if this is finally a model that Harbaugh has found where it's not so much do I know the names because he'll just carry it over, carry it over, carry it over. But then all that stuff in in the January, February timeframe happened and it looks like he's gone and he's not gone. And I, I just think it's going to end up not mattering this year. I really think they've got a good team. It's one of the most secret good offenses in America. They don't throw the ball 50 times a game, so they don't get as much national recognition. They won't have a Heisman contender on that roster, but O-line checks out. Uh, they got two quarterbacks they think they can win with. They're probably in as good a situation at that position as they've been in a long time. This Michigan wide receiver stable does not look like a Michigan wide receiver stable. They got two dependable tight ends, both about 6'4", 245, or 250. They're, they're big, they're physical, and everyone, I think, from what I've heard nationally, just assumes they've got to fall off. And I don't know that they have to fall off. I know why Ohio State's the overwhelming favorite in that conference, but here's the beautiful part of that. They've got to play them. That's the way that Big Ten schedule works. they got to play them every year. So Michigan's won. It's easy to talk about Bama. It's easy to talk about Ohio State. I, I really wonder about Georgia. You know, I grew up in Georgia, and I always said, whenever that team ends up winning a title, whenever that is, there will be such a hangover around the program and in that state that there's no way they win any more than 10 games the next year. But what's interesting is the way this past few months has played out and the way that roster has played out or, or shaken out is I don't know that they're going to be victim of some of the same complacency issues that you would worry about. Because number one, no one's talked about Georgia. We've had so much other stuff to talk about. No one's had time to really heap the incredible amounts of praise on their shoulders you would normally expect. And number two, they lost all the defensive stars. And when I say stars, I mean guys you know. So they've got some unproven guys on defense that have to earn their stripes, so to speak. And here's the really unique part. When is the last time you saw a national champion return a quarterback and the quarterback not be on any preseason watch list of any kind. And so I think that even losing Burton at wide receiver, Georgia's got some of the best receiver talent they've had in quite a while. I just, I don't, I'm not trying to endorse them as a bona fide title contender. I am saying, I think they're going to be right there in the mix again. And they'll enter that same conversation as Bama, where you learn that some of the metrics like returning starters, percentage of returning production, that stuff's kind of become going to become irrelevant with Georgia. They'll just be one of the exceptions to the rule. Uh, the other one I'm really excited to watch, and aside from OU and Texas and the Big 12, I'm excited to watch Baylor. I'm excited to watch Utah. I, I think a lot of what people said about them at the end of last year, about, man, if they would have, if we would have had a wild card spot, if we would have had a six or an 18 playoff and they would have gotten in, look out. Well, I don't personally advocate for that. But what I will advocate for is if that's the case, Back it up. Show it to me in the 2022 season. They, they're going to give you 12 games. So if you are what you think you are, you'll be there at the end of the day. Yeah. And so it, I think heading in the year, a lot of people just view it as a three-horse race between Bama, Ohio State, and Georgia. So are you saying that out of all the other teams across the country that that you think could factor into that national championship picture, is it Michigan? Is it Clemson, Notre Dame? When you look at you know the preseason polls, like who who do you think the most the teams most likely to challenge those three realistically for a national title are? Yeah, I do think it's Michigan. Uh, it's because 
I love the Bear Bryant quote. You know, we got a different bunch of excuses when you lose, but the same stuff wins that has always won. I mean, owning the lines of scrimmage, it always will win. There's no way to reinvent this game where that doesn't matter. Also, I think at, at the quarterback position, people look at them and say, you're good enough to win 10 games in the Big Ten. You're not good enough to do anything beyond that. Well, first off, that's nothing to shake a stick at, as Meemaw would say. Winning the Big Ten is a pretty big deal. They did it last year in, in dominant fashion, as it turns out, at the end of the year. And then they ran up against the eventual national champ. And what we saw there is they couldn't do anything against a generational defensive front. We only saw Alabama able to move the ball at all against Georgia. That was in the SEC title game. And that was with a really, really strong vertical passing game. So I look at Michigan and I think they still got the stuff that got them to where they were last year. I know that's not how football works, but they've got the pieces. They've got that DNA. They've gotten deeper and better at wide receiver. Uh, Ronnie Bell, for example, is a guy that they lost last year that they'll get back this year. Uh, They've got two guys, like I said, to choose from. They've also got some really good running back depth and talent. So I look at them and I think to myself, there's nothing really standing in their way of getting right back on the doorstep. If they get in the door, they may have a little bit more than a puncher's chance this time around. So I don't know because you got you to gotta sell me. I'll put it this way. You got to sell me on anyone else that has the firepower but also has the line of scrimmage talent necessary to win. You guys have watched it as well as I have. Okay? We've seen Oklahoma do it before. We've seen them get in that setting under Lincoln Riley and have the firepower. They got fireworks, but the steak, like the meat and potatoes, maybe not necessarily be there to compete at that level. And I almost think I'd rather have the meat and potatoes and let's see how many fireworks I can add on to it Uh, Because when I get into a playoff situation, it's not a guarantee that I'm going to win if I do have that fortified offensive line, defensive line combo. It's a guarantee I won't win if I don't have it, though. Yeah. Um, Good stuff. I want to give you three teams. I think they are massively overrated this year. From from the talking heads during talking season, these these are three teams that that are really getting pumped up there. Make a case for them or or totally shoot them down, whatever, whatever you want. Texas A&M, Texas, USC. Texas is the easiest to shoot down uh, because what held them back last year, I don't know, has been fortified. I don't know that it's been rectified. You know, they were a mess on the offensive line last year. Well, we fast forward to this year. They could not even get through spring because they didn't have enough healthy bodies on the offensive line to conduct spring practices. They didn't have a spring game. Uh, because in part they couldn't even construct a two deep on the offensive line. I'm reading practice reports, getting some intel out of Austin. They've already got a true freshman running with the ones at right guard. They've got uh, Kelvin Banks, I think, running with the twos at left tackle. It's assumed that maybe he eventually overtakes them. So you've probably got multiple true freshmen playing pivotal roles on the offensive line, which historically has not been a recipe for long-term success. Pass rush, I also don't know that they rectified wholesale. And then you add into that the fact that you got to probably a first-time starter at quarterback in Quinn Ewers. So, you know, they're going to be such a feast or famine team because of those fireworks that they do have, but also the question marks on some of the other most important parts of their team. Uh, Texas A&M is the more interesting one to me because A&M, I've watched them in person for two years now and watched them get off the bus and said to myself, they look the most like Bama or Georgia getting off the bus. Physically, that's what they've looked like where they have not resembled some, you know, challengers for the national championship is at the quarterback position. 
And that stat, I think I've recited this a million times over the past few months. For them to have the talent pool that they do and have finished 90th in pass plays of 20 yards or more is absurd. And I had a coach a um, couple of weeks ago when I was talking to him about AM, he said, Hey, you want to have some fun? Go chart AM last year and tell me how many times they shifted pre snap. How many times did they have motion elements in their offense pre snap? And I said, Well, I don't have time to do it. I'm guessing not very much. He said, Well, that's right. You know why that is? Why is that? Uh, that's because Jimbo Fisher thinks he doesn't need it. It's not that he doesn't think his players can, can process the, uh, you know, the intricacies of the pre snap motion. It's he thinks that if his offense is executed exactly right, then they don't need that stuff. And technically he's right. But the problem is he's not putting 11 robots on the field. Like they're humans. And sometimes humans don't do exactly what they're supposed to do. They don't square off that in route exactly at 11 yards. And so it just watching them, it's felt like they have to execute everything so perfectly. It seems like a first down is such a chore to get in that offense. And I wonder you're making I, it we've unnecessarily had of, easy on the defense. Like there's right. Like, even if you do like and, just one motion is, is changes everything for a and, defense. And if, and if you're not going to use a bunch of motion, normally you're playing with a lot of tempo, right? And that, that is where you are. You're making up for the lack of confusion that you're not causing a defense by using shifts and motions. You're making up by playing fast. Texas A&M does not do that. Right. And so you don't you don't do the one thing you think you would do, but you still do that other thing. And I, I had him on the show a couple of times over the past four months. So I asked him, like, specifically, have, have you been good enough? Do you watch what you guys have done and been good enough? He says, no, of course not. And then you ask him, okay, well, what are you going to change? And it's always that, well, you know, it's coach speak, basically. He doesn't really give you a, a solid answer. But, you know, I, I remember back at the spring game, it was like 40-mile-an-hour winds out there, and they threw the ball down the field all afternoon anyway. And afterwards, he said, we did that today, regardless of weather, because the game doesn't count, but also because we know we've got to do that this fall. Well, we'll see, okay? Because it, my whole point is, if they do that, that's all they've lacked. Any kind of explosivity in the passing game, and therefore a more – you know, a more formidable offense. That's what they've lacked. They're not a team that's miles away. Texas has got big holes. A&M does not have big holes. They've got some course correction to make offensively. But if they do, you know, I had a scenario posted to me on last night's show of which conference, if any, could put two teams in the playoff. And I think if I were to power rate where it's most likely, that Bama and A&M combo, they got tough schedules, both of them do. But that's the one where you could afford to lose and still have all the makeup ground in the world because the other one's going to be highly ranked, blah, blah, blah. Um, who was the third one after A&M? USC. USC, yeah. It's the, I don't think we need to talk too much about this. I mean, I know Caleb Williams gets a lot of attention, and they, you know, they brought in a lot, of, a lot of portal talent. When you listen to Lincoln Riley talk, and you listen to how careful he is, and you know how conservative he is when he's talking about expectations for them this year, it's all tied into what he knows he doesn't have. Uh, along the lines of scrimmage, he gets that. I mean, coaches know when they don't have it, and they don't. They're going to win some games out there, and they're probably going to hang some really crooked numbers a couple of times this year that will get the you know the casual crowd drunk on. Well, when that team's right, you know how many times have we heard this sentence? That's the team you don't want to play in November. Well, the reason you you're having to say it that way is because they already lost three games because they aren't consistent enough. This is not Major League Baseball. You don't get right in mid-August and have 40 more games to play. I mean, it's football. They give you 12 of them. 
and I don't think they'll be consistent enough this year. If there were another team other than Utah to come out of that conference, ironically, I think it would be Oregon. Not that I'm endorsing them, but I think that would probably, or maybe a sneaky, ultra sneaky UCLA. I do not think it would be USC. Right. I I, I feel the same, and I I've said it many times. If if Lincoln Riley wins, you know, nine games in year one, yeah, that's a hell of a year one. I mean, it's a hell of a year one, but yeah, the expectations around around that program, it a lot going on, clearly. Now, now anyone that is not listening to the late kick with Josh Pate is is making a grave error. We, <laughs> a we grave mistake. A grave mistake. But one of the things you you do on, on your podcast is talk about your bold predictions heading into the season. So what what are a couple? You only can pick a couple. What are a couple of your boldest predictions? You've already hitched your wagon to Michigan, so that's that that's bold enough, I think. But what are a couple of the other bold predictions you have heading into the 2022 college football season? Well, I made this prediction, and I didn't think it was bold, but got told that it's bold, and that is Notre Dame finishing in the top four in recruiting. They have the number one class right now. And the thing that doesn't make this bold at all is if I were to just hit the stop button today – They've, according to our team rankings, let me put it that way, according to our team rankings at 24-7, they already have a class that if they didn't add another piece, would have rated as number five last year. Texas was the number five class last year, and Notre Dame's already rated higher than them. And I think they're going to add a couple more pieces. So it's going to be a huge win on the recruiting trail for Marcus Freeman. Now, whether they go over that nine-win preseason total, that I don't have a great feel on. Uh, But as for on the field this year, I believe – I'll give you one. So I think Ole Miss is going to fall off a little bit. I think Ole Miss under seven and a half wins, if we're talking, you know, betting terminology. I I used to be high on them. This is why I always emphasize not to get married to your preseason or spring takes. Because in spring, I would have told you, hey, I love Ole Miss to be right back there again. But the more I took a dive in, the more I talked to some folks around the league over the summer – there will be a wobbly tire somewhere in the SEC West. There will be too many good teams over there, too many talented rosters. So if you have even a, a sniff of wobble over there, you're falling right to the back of the pack. And Ole Miss, they do not have a replacement for Matt Corral at quarterback. I'm just telling you they don't. You can read the headlines about Jackson Dart all you want to. You can hear them say, Luke Altmyer's a, a, a serviceable backup. He was a serviceable backup. We're not looking for serviceable. We're looking for a guy who can really do it at a high level. And if they don't have the quarterback, they can pull the trigger at a really high level. I, I personally am not a believer that this recipe of let's go get 14 or 15 pieces out of the transfer portal, shake them up, throw them on the field, call it a football team. I, it may work out. And, and God bless them if it does. I don't think that is a recipe to just hang around in that nine or 10 win range again this year. So I'm a little bit lower on Ole Miss. And um, how bold is it? You guys got to tell me this. How bold is it to think that Baylor's going to win the Big 12? Is that pretty bold? No. I no, I think uh, with, with what they've got back along the line of scrimmage, right, the offensive line and defensive line are intact. And, you know, with just, just seeing them push Oklahoma around, especially in the second half of that game in person, that I, I, I think they're going to be very physical – along the line of scrimmage, and then, and this is something Teddy and I have talked a lot about, the fact that Dave Aranda did what he did with Gary Bohannon's situation, 
I think it tells us, it sends the message to us at least that Blake Shapin's going to be pretty damn good. So they got playmakers to replace on both sides of the ball, but you feel good about them at the line of scrimmage and at the quarterback position. And Dave Aranda's a hell of a football coach. There's a lot to like about Baylor, man. And I'll, so I'll two just things add were... this R- real quickly. I, I don't think – it's not necessarily bold. I don't think that it's going to happen, and that's because of Oklahoma. I think everyone is massively undervaluing Oklahoma. I, and I think this is kind of bold, but, I mean, people will take it as bold. I don't. I think Oklahoma will be better at every – better or at least as good at every single position group than they were last year. I say that's bold. quarterback. That's bolder than anything I've said. Well, it's, I mean, it's really not though. Whenever you just kind of like you break it down and look at it, like specifically quarterback, I say they'll be better at quarterback than they were last year. I'm not saying that Dylan Gabriel is going to be a better quarterback in the future than Caleb Williams will be. I'm saying that what he does this year will not just be better than what Caleb Williams did last year. It will far exceed what Caleb Williams did last year. I mean, there's, there's a, a lot kind of gets lost in, in what Caleb Williams' real year was like last yeah, year. And it, it, he was a true freshman playing quarterback right. in, in the Big 12 Conference. Like it, There were some moments that he was fantastic where you're like, oh my gosh, look at the talent, look at the ability. There's also a lot of mistakes. So I, I, I think it'll just be more consistent at the quarterback position, kind of – Josh, they'll kind of know what they're getting, if that makes sense. No, that does make sense. I get that totally. So my counter, I don't have a counter with Oklahoma. Like, I'm high on Oklahoma, so I'm not anti-Sooner or anything. But when I look at Baylor, if I'm trying to pick who's going to win the Big 12, you know how there are always these times when we've seen the season play out, and we're sitting there in December, so we have all our answers. You know how sometimes you look back and you say to yourself, I should have known when this happened. I should have known when that happened. What, what you just talked about, Eichert, that whole deal with the quarterback situation in the spring, that feels like such a telltale sign that, that I don't want to be the guy in December saying, I should have known when Dave Aranda could have chosen to keep his quarterback that he rode all the way to the Big 12 championship last year, and he chose to, to not only make the switch, but do it early enough where he showed his quarterback the ability to hit the exit door. I should have known he had himself a sneaky good squad. I should have known when they returned all those pieces – on the defensive line that was their hallmark last year, including that that plug in the middle. I should have known, and I don't want to be saying that about myself. Also, what else was magical about that day last year where they beat Oklahoma? Two things. First, that's the day I met you in person, Iker, and I yeah. still I thank God every day. Yeah, baby. That's that's the first time I saw those biceps in person. Let's go. <laughs> I'm, turning my, I'm turning my video off. And the second thing that happened that day was after the game, Right before Aranda's presser, this is why the quarterback thing's so significant with me. We were we were with Aranda, and he's crying, and he's talking about his quarterback, and it's it just illustrates to me when you fast forward a few months how difficult that decision must have been, but also how much it personifies that whole team over player mindset that you have to have as a coach. That dude, that had to be some restless nights in the Dave Aranda household of knowing. That kid did what he did for us, and yet I'm still about to tell him, you're second best, and we got to make a decision here. But they did it, and I think it's going to pay dividends for him this fall. I think that at the very least, I think everyone um, can admit that that's a team that's in every game. And at that point, you've got like five teams in the Big 12. That thing could go either way. So if I have that kind of – if I don't have an Alabama out in the Big 12, for example, 
I like my chances with a team with the kind of dynamic that Baylor has. And, and the one thing about Baylor, and I tell people this all the time, I, I believe in the systems, right? I, I Jeff Grimes and what he does offensively, it's it's my favorite system in all of college football. But Baylor, I'm, I'm a wide zone guy. Inside out, both sides of the ball. I, I'm a wide zone guy. And then clearly uh, the creativity – that Dave Aranda and Roberts bring to the defensive side of things. We're like, I, I believe in what they do offensively and def- defensively. And I believe in the culture of the program. So there, that, that also factors into me. I, I think Baylor's going to play for the big 12 title. I, I think they're going to play Oklahoma for it, but I just, I, I, I don't understand anyone that's looking at Baylor going, no, 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 no they're not going to be any good. I just, I, I can't get on board with that. It's people who worship stats. It's people who see that, what is it, 126th in returning production. And right. I, I have thought for a long time returning starters is one of the more overrated stats we have in our game. Now, if you want to talk about returning production, I'll give that a little bit more credence. But at what point do you do you get your hands dirty and get in the weeds a little bit and understand not all models are the same, not all systems are the same, not all philosophies are the same? And you just mentioned offense and defense with, with um, Aranda. You know, they made holistic changes year one to year two under him. And they made like game management, tactical type changes in philosophy. And he's talked about it since then. But there were some times in his first year there, dude, they, they I don't know how many times they punted in opponent territory. And all of a sudden he said, what we're doing is not good enough, dude. We got we, we he actually want to win. He learned that he could go for it on fourth and short, Josh. Yeah, <laughs> it is allowed. It is allowed. I'll tell you what I think is uh, really interesting about, about Baylor. Like, I, I think it's great. You're talking about a lot of people are stat driven. You were at the Oklahoma Baylor game. All right, what was the final? Twenty seven fourteen. I believe so. Twenty seven down in the fourth. Well, if if you see the highlights of that game, or you look at the box score of that game, other than they ran the ball like forty five times for like two eighty five on us, but I. If you're there witnessing, you know that that was an absolute ass kicking. Like Baylor is, they are tough as hell. They are physical as hell. And that stuff doesn't uh, show up in the stat sheet. Um, And I think there's a couple of teams in the Big 12 that play that way now. So just whenever you look at the conference, do you have any other teams that you feel like are maybe flying under the radar a little bit and may have a shot? if a couple of, of things happen for them or maybe or to some other teams that could maybe be there in the end and who knows, try and win a big 12. Yeah. So the reason I don't want to say Kansas state is because <laughs> everyone else in the entire country and, and some people internationally at this point are on Kansas state. So they've gotten enough love. Guilty. I, yeah, there you, it's uh, it's I, not that I'm against them. I'm just I saying, think man. we started that. And now I'm, I'm like, there's too much Kansas State hype. There's too many questions about Adrian Martinez. I, I don't know what you're going to get from the wide receiver position. You've got some new pieces offensively. There's too much Kansas State love, Pate. I'm out. I'm out. Well, I, I get rumor sell the news. I like it, Gay. That's smart. I get so worried. It's when you think you've said something smart and then a bunch of really average people start echoing it. That's when you question, am I smart? Are they just getting lucky? Or am I thinking on their line of thought all of a sudden? So I get scared about that. You know, I took a lot of flack because I got on the Iowa State train last year. 
And uh, listen, I, I cannot say no to the Hulk Hogan color scheme. And I could not say no to just the idea of that. I love what their program represents, too. I love the same things about Baylor that I love about Iowa State. And I, I just wanted to see him break through. So it was my heart a little bit. You know, everyone's discounting them again this year. And it's because they lose Brock Purdy, I think, and Brees Hall. Like Those are the reasons why they're being discounted. Those are valid reasons. But when I look at a team that underachieved mightily, I don't so much care about which pieces you lose, especially if I believe in your culture and your identity. So there are a lot of the hallmarks of that program that are still there too. I almost wonder if, if there's a team, if, what, if there's a, what I call a Bob team in the Big 12 this year, which is a bounce of ball team, it's that team that just gets the breaks and they get, they get the injury luck on their side. If that's Iowa State, I could see 23 to 20 favor Cyclones like half a dozen times this year. And all of a sudden they're there at the end of the year. And you're going, how has this team wound up in the big 12 title picture this late in the year? And it, there's nothing flashy about them. There's nothing special. They're just kind of Hunter Deckers is good enough at quarterback. They found adequate enough replacements. That's a team I'm interested to watch. I'm not going to go so far as to say I'm putting my own shekels on them, but it's one I'm interested to watch. If, like Teddy said, there is another team that kind of fits that description. I'll tell you this, the conversations I had with Matt Campbell at Big 12 Media Days, they are very, very excited about Hunter Deckers. He, he's a more physically gifted player than Brock Purdy. Boom. They are, they are going to push it down the field more. And I, I talked to Xavier Hutchinson about that, and like his eyes lit up talking about him. Campbell also told us, while they don't have a Brees Hall in the room, it's the best their running back room's ever been since he's been there, top to bottom. And you got to remember, last year, along that offensive line, their two tackles went down early. They were right. playing five guards along that offensive line. And at times, the guys that the, the guards that were having to play tackle, they struggled, which is not a shock. But will McDonald back on that defensive front? Uh, I know they lose Rose and Eisworth, but Haycock's system, like I believe in that system. I think Iowa State's going to be a lot better than people think they're going to be. Okay, you sold me. You sold me on my pick. I appreciate that. That's what I came here for. I'm here to help you, man. I'm here to back yeah. you up. That's what I'm people here to do. People helping yeah. people. I'm, I'm interested in um, just kind of your overall thoughts on, on OU. Venables, uh, like the way that the whole situation broke down, um, what you expect for year one, um, why you're high on them, why maybe some of the reasons that are holding, holding you back from even being higher, just – kind of some overall thoughts yeah so the i do a i have a weird way of thinking about this and it's because i i don't do it as much as i used to but i used to be so gambling centric in the way that i thought in preseason in the regular season it's just football every week but if you're tr if you're trying to project i've never thought there's a ton of skill in us going win win loss win loss because we we don't know how health and depth is going to work out we don't we don't know any of that weather we don't know anything so what I chose to do for a long time is I used to say, okay, well, let me just try and simulate the season a hundred times. What's the most likely outcome? And unfortunately, when you're doing that, you have to factor in the possibility of injury. And Oklahoma is disproportionately exposed at quarterback, which a lot of teams are. It's college football. You don't have a five deep of really good quarterbacks, but Oklahoma is a little bit disproportionately exposed there. So you, you cross every finger you have, that doesn't matter. If you could guarantee me a season where we have health, game one through 12 at quarterback, 
then it becomes a little bit different. And then all of a sudden, like if you're trying to sell me Oklahoma Big 12 champ, they're up there as either the favorite or the Cobra favorite for a reason. Uh, so I don't I don't have doubts about the team. I don't have doubts about the relative strength of the staff. What I'm, I'll also just put in a little side note here. What I'm paying as close attention to this year with Oklahoma as on field is them maintaining and, and even seemingly increasing speed in recruiting. This has been the underreported story nationally with Oklahoma. They came in there as a new staff, and they, they signed a class about as highly rated as anything that Lincoln had had. Now, an outsider could look at that and say, yeah, but you just held together what he had already done. We'll see what you do on your own. Okay, that's this cycle. Now they're out there on the open sea. They're on their own, and they're rolling in recruiting. And that's, to me, what would have been reasonable to doubt. You're bringing in a lifer as a defensive coordinator into the Big 12. I'm sure defensive guys are going to want to play for him. Can he attract offensive talent? Can he attract quarterback, offensive perimeter skill? Dude, look at their class. Ink, ink is not dry on paper yet or anything, but if those guys are sticking with Oklahoma and I get a, a nine or a 10 win season on the field this year, you, you push it all in. You go all in on Oklahoma from this point moving forward. So I don't have doubts about them. Um, vulnerable to injury in some places, but if, if that pans out, if we don't have a bunch of red Sharpies on the depth chart in November, they're as good as anyone out there. Yeah, I think they, they feel better than they did in the spring about their backup quarterback situation, but uh, I've said Sell it me on backup quarterback, because so, I, I don't know a lot about that. You're going to love this. Uh, the poss- there's, there's really two options. Now there's a freshman, but they're trying to bring him along, kind of slowly, highly recruited kid named Nick Evers. But one kid's name is Davis Bevel. Yeah. The other, General Booty. I know I General. Think, I think as as two guys on the radio call for OU games, mm. you you can imagine which one we are hoping ends up winning the uh, the backup quarterback job. Can you imagine in the NIL era? I, mm. well, well, how, many, also, how many endorsements? How many endorsements do you have to say no to for General Booty in the NIL era? He he also is. I mean, uh, I got no problem saying that he's a really good looking kid, too. Oh, yeah. So very marketable. He's a stud. He's a stud player, though. He's he's athletic. He's a he's a kid that really flew under the radar. He played at, I think, four different high schools. Um, but he's got the pedigree, comes from a, a really athletic family that uh what was his uncle played in the NFL, um, went to junior college, is like and it was through the COVID kind of recruiting period. So whenever he was moving high schools, coaches couldn't go go out and see him at different places. So he he's he's stud. They really like him. So let me ask this question: not not week one, but if there were a time this season where a guy is called upon, is he the guy at Oklahoma? And is that an offense that can? Do they feel like they can still win football games with their two option at quarterback? I and there's a lot of training camp left, right? I, I think they they feel a lot better about it, but I still am of the belief Dylan Gabriel goes down, this team's in trouble. I I I, I that's the way I still feel. Now maybe one of these guys really separates themselves, and we we talked about the biggest questions. Uh, on 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 here, Josh. We talked about the biggest questions heading into training camp for OU, and QB two was one of the biggest questions. I, I still think that's a big question. I 
I think that Dylan Gabriel might be the single most important person to his team in all of college football and clearly staying healthy is, is the key. So yeah, I, Ted, you may feel differently. I I think they've got, they feel better about the backup quarterback situation, but it would not be, it would not be a good situation if, if Dylan Gabriel goes down, which clearly anyone that loses their starter, not, not what you want. Well, here's the thing about backup quarterback. Uh, if, if a one game scenario, I mean, it would depend on who the game is and, and when, when, like, how much time was there for preparation? Is it like the day before? But, like, whenever you just look at the overall thing, like, I agree that Dylan Gabriel is super important to this team. But whenever I, when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about like winning the Big 12 and making a college football playoff. This team is going to be built totally different than what we've seen in the past. And they will be less reliant on quarterback than they ever were under Lincoln Riley. The running game with Jeff Levy's system is going to be excellent. This is this is not a put everything on the quarterback. You've got tools. You've got your running game, which is excellent. You've got tempo, which is excellent. And you're going to have a defense that is – uh, vastly superior than what you've thrown out on the field in in recent years. So whenever you look at those things, that insulates the quarterback position a little bit. But you know, just like anyone else, if if, if your quarterback goes down, you're in you're in serious trouble. There's very few teams out there that can can maintain that level of play. But they they have they've become a far more diverse football team than in the past, where it was all quarterback driven. We go where Baker takes us. We go where Kyler takes us. And that's always going to be true to a certain extent, but they're definitely going to be a much more well-rounded team. I would encourage people, if you, if you just listen to what Teddy said there and you, you, you're not familiar with Jeff Levy necessarily and his style of play, there, there was a game a couple of years ago when he was at Ole Miss where they pushed Bama. They ended up losing. It was like a pinball final score. But it was like 62 to 48 or something like that. And it was just – it was shot for shot. No one could get a stop. And, and you Saban might think to yourself, so pissed afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> you, you might think to yourself, oh, they must have just bombed away on Alabama all day. Go look at the box score. They ran the ball in Alabama unlike I've seen anyone able to run the ball in Alabama. And it was – they didn't expect it. Elaine said after the game, we, we didn't think we were going to have that kind of success. It was almost like they – they ran the ball to window dress early in the game and they kept on ripping off eight yard, 12 yard, six yard, and they stuck with it. And that was what kept them in that game that day. And I, that stuck with me. Like that's cause when Ole Miss has been at their best under Levy, that's what they did. And I have no reason to doubt that's what they'll do at Oklahoma. Yeah. They're, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a mid zone based attack. They got a lot of variations. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what OU's O-line like the level that they play at. I got all the faith in the world in Bill Beatonbow, but we'll see. Okay, hey, Josh, before we let you get out of here, one of your things, and it's funny because we had Neil Brown on last week, and he talked about the need for a commissioner that oversees all of college football. He he said to us, what, what revenue generator doesn't have someone in charge? And one of your things that you're always talking about on the late kick is what you would do if you were the college football commissioner. So what would be your first items of business? You get the call tomorrow. 
what would be your first couple items of business if you were named CFB commissioner? I would want to overhaul the college football calendar. Uh, we actually had, so we had the personnel and recruiting symposium in Nashville last week and all the, the DPPs and all the recruiting coordinators came in town. It was kind of, it was a closed session, but I was allowed to be a part of it. And there were some really good ideas thrown around in there. And I've just, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And so with the calendar, I would absolutely put windows in for transfer portal. Um, I would, I would do something that the NFL does. See, I'm against the professionalization of college football. I love this sport to death. I do not want it to emulate the NFL. That doesn't mean there aren't certain things that the NFL does better than you that you couldn't adopt. And one of the things they do, Teddy, we were talking about it 20, 30 minutes ago. Understanding how to construct a calendar is pivotal. We're in the entertainment business. Make no mistake about it. This is the entertainment business. And if college football would take what they already have and just reshuffle it around, they'd get so much more juice out of the squeeze. For example, the concept of scheduling games seven and eight years out is ludicrous, always has been, always will be. So here's what I would love to do. I would love to, before spring starts, I would love to have a huge, or, or maybe right after spring ends, you can pick whenever you want to do it, probably pre-spring so you could work on it in spring. I would love to have a staple, like a tent mark event or a tent pole event, and we release schedules for that year, or at least conference schedules at that time. It gets a lot of juice and a lot of interaction in the spring. Uh, but then also at the conclusion of spring, I want you to have the ability, not mandating it, I want you to have the ability to schedule an actual game, probably with an FCS opponent that you can pay to come in there. And I want you to be able to have a real or at least a simulated to real game at the end of spring, which gives me another event for television inventory purposes. I would love to then have my second transfer portal window post spring. I would absolutely love to put some parameters and an extended dead period at some point in July. I'm in favor of an early signing day before the season starts and then eliminating the December signing period. So you just either got that one in July, late July, let's call it, or you're going to wait until February. I am wholeheartedly a proponent, the more I listened to it talked about last week, of an offer database where there is no such thing anymore as a, a committable and a non-committable offer. If I'm, if I'm offering Gabe Eichert, then it's going in a database. And if I tell you you're offered, I have to be able to take your not only commitment, but your signature. And that kind of does away with signing day, but it also it solidifies what an offer is. And it probably greatly cuts down on the foolishness that currently exists where teams put out three and four hundred offers knowing they can only take twenty five. Speaking of twenty five, I'd love to eliminate that number and I would love to just make you stick to eighty five scholarship players. And if you lose thirty one, you can sign thirty one. If you lose eighteen, you can sign eighteen. We have to very much guard against the outright cutting of players in that model. So we'd have to have some conference alignment on that. But um, you asked for one idea. That's like half a dozen ideas. Before, Real quickly, how many call, how many playoff teams? Uh, if I had my way, two. Yeah. Uh, realistically, <laughs> I understand where we're going. So I, I, I guess if I, have to, if I have to expand, I'd go to six. Um, it, that's not realistic. So if they do expand, I hope it stops at eight. But I, I'm not in favor of auto bids at all. That's my thing. I don't like auto bids. If I take eight Big Ten teams, so be it. I don't like auto bids at all. But I never get into too deep an argument about it because I just don't care about the playoff enough to argue about it. I love the regular season. And then anything that comes afterwards 
just comes afterwards. But like those 12 Saturdays, that's, I guess that's my playoff. That's what I love the most. Okay. Last one. We've kept you for way too long. I apologize for nothing, but <laughs> the, the any given Saturday tour this year, what are, what, what stops mm. or what, what ones do you have written in stone already? Or is it, is it seriously like, hey, the week before you make that decision? Or do you do you kind of have a general idea of where you might be each week? Okay, so so it's very important to note for trademarking purposes, every given Saturday. Tour, every day I don't want, it. I'm I, so I, sorry. I don't want lawsuits falling on anyone's head around here. Trust me, I, I looked into it. So I don't know where we're going to be week one, although I'm close to, to deciding that. But we, we could have Cincy, Arkansas. We could have Utah, Florida. I uh, could have Notre Dame, Ohio State. The week two game, I'm pretty sure we have locked in Bama at Texas. After that, I have no idea, and I normally don't even decide it until we fly back in town and Sunday morning the dust is settled and we look across the landscape. And I'll tell you what those SIDs really love. They really love hearing from a bunch of folks at CBS on a Tuesday saying, hey, we need three or four field passes. We're bringing a crew. Make it happen. Thanks, guys. That's what they really love more than anything. Brutal. I will say week three. I wouldn't oh, mind oh, seeing. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I wouldn't mind yes. seeing seeing you in Lincoln, Nebraska, man. I'm Look, just saying. You got to call whoever you got on the line in Lincoln. You got to say, I don't know if you guys have been to Ireland before. I'm going to need you to win that game, though. Got to make that thing matter. Got to be going up there. If they've right? already lost. That's a good point. Both teams need to be undefeated going into that game. Which... We got Penn State at Auburn in that same week, and both those teams may be undefeated still. And as we as we all know, you got to catch those teams this year while you can, while they still got a goose egg in the loss column, because I don't think it's going to last. So I want to go to Lincoln. I've never been to Lincoln, but my balls are in their court, as I like to say. <laughs> <laughs> Pate, you're the man. I'm I'm so happy to continue to be able to watch your success. I mean, you, you put the work in and, and I think everyone that, that works in this space has a great amount of respect for, for the way that you go about your business. So thank, thanks for joining us. Thanks for taking the time, man. No, I appreciate both of you having me on. It's a really good product. I sneak a listen in a couple of times a month at the very least. And so <laughs> this is, this is one I'll go to. I'll say that I don't go to many of them. I don't have, I don't have time to listen to a whole lot, but I, this is one I will go to. And I don't say that about I don't I don't say that about very many products in our space. But I really, really appreciate you guys having me on. That means a lot, man. Thanks. I really like that guy. He's stud. He's stud doing really good things, man. On the rocket ship up. He he he's doing really good things. And I just I like the way he goes about his business. And he's he's nice and he's fun and he works hard. I don't know. I just like I really like that guy. Yeah, there's no 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 gimmick there, right? It's uh, kind of what you see is what you get. Very well done. And I I'll be honest, I just respect a man that could get his biceps to be that big. I don't just <laughs> I can't do it. I try my best, I can't do it, but he can, and I respect it. Well, there you go. Hey, you know what? That's just part of his repertoire right now is the biceps. There you go. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the weekend. But first. It's time to get back out on the golf course, people, and there's nothing better to drink on the course than the number one seltzer in golf, Clubby Seltzers. Clubby Seltzers is an Oklahoma company that is already winning national awards because their product is delicious. It tastes exactly like a club special, but it's a seltzer. 
They're not just for the golf course either. They're perfect to drink by the pool after mowing the lawn, whatever. If you haven't tried Clubby Seltzers yet, go grab some. You won't regret it. The variety pack is out. To find a place near you that has Clubbies, visit clubbyseltzers.com. And attention business owners. You need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage, offerings, and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. Are you looking to buy or sell a house in the OKC metro area? Use the Ronaldo Cloud Group. Stacia Ronaldo and Maddie Cloud are with Sage Sotheby's International Realty. They believe in prompt communication, an honest relationship, and luxury service. And that's exactly what they gave Gabe. They sold a house for Gabe. They found a house for Gabe's brother. They also found a house for Lane Johnson. We can't recommend them enough. You can reach them by calling or texting Stacia at 918-671-6450, or you can contact them on Instagram at at soldbystacia and at soldbymaddie underscore. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the weekend? I I thought it was a nice little uh, Sunday late afternoon playoff in the in the PGA St. Jude Championship. Zalatoris over Seb Straka. Somehow uh, earlier in the round, that ball dancing on the rocks and not going in the water for uh, Zalatoris is the luckiest thing. That would never happen for me. But um, <laughs> uh, awesome to watch. I love playoff golf. I think it's it's really cool whenever you get into to playoff every shot is watch those guys grind over every one of them it's cool how about how about Zalatoris's celebration what'd you think of it right I it was one of those what did he say he was like what are they gonna say now <laughs> I loved it because everyone everyone always is on him especially about the putting right and right. for him to drain that in that moment like I loved that celebration now Full disclosure, it doesn't quite hit the same when it's a golfer for whatever reason. And let's just be real. Salatoris is incredible. He would destroy both of us on a golf course. He's not a very intimidating guy, though. Like, let's be real. But I loved I loved the fire he had after he won. Like that, I was I was fired up watching him be so fired up. It's great. It's awesome. It seemed like yesterday he looked like a 15-year-old kid out there. Uh, still doesn't look uh, all that old, but you're right. It reminds you of the, was it Pete Weber, the bowlers? Like, who do you think you are? I am. That's exactly, <laughs> yes. It had it had some serious Pete Weber energy. It's like, hey, hang on a second. Nobody is, uh, nobody, it, it's not the world against Pete Weber or the world against Zalatoris. But, hey, you got to find your motivation out there. was a nice little playoff. That was a cool event and uh, had a nice finish to it. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, who do you have as your loser of the weekend? I had to go with Texas, uh, losing a couple of guys out there. Lost the wide receiver, Nayer, and um, 
one of their offensive starting offensive linemen that's got a couple of years experience already really light uh, with experience on the offensive line and to drop another guy off of that group it's going to be tough for Texas um you know I hate to see this and I know there's people that's like oh Texas you know injuries whatever where's the next excuse I I want I always want to see teams at their full strength right that's that's what you want in this sport is to see what everyone has to offer your best against our best. So I was a little frustrated to see that. Yeah. And it's, if you're, if you're an OU fan and you're kind of taking, I I don't know, it's like basking in that. Don't that's don't do that. Like you don't, you don't want these kids to get hurt. That's, that's not what you want. And especially, you know, they had the, the Ajay Hall issue over the, you know, late last week and through the weekend as well, him suspended. And you, you, you just hope that that young man gets on the right track, right? He's already had, he had the issues at Bama. Now he's got the issues at Texas, but yeah. And not only was it Nair and junior Ungala, who I think is their best offensive line. I went back and looked at my notes because when, it, when, when I saw that it, it was him, I was like, damn, I, he was the guy that I liked the most off their offensive line last year. Cause I, I felt like I knew what I was going to get from him and I knew I was going to get physicality, right. And strength. And is he, is, is he left guard? Yeah. He, he bounced around. He can play all three of the interior, but yeah, he's a guard. Yeah. And he is, he's one of those guys that I, I did think was kind of a tone setter for them. And probably if I had to guess is the leader in that room because majors, the center's not very old. You've got, you've got, you know, you got Jones left tackle. Like they're, that's they think they're going to end up starting. Right. I mean, yeah, they got some really young guys. So this was a guy that I thought was their most experienced and best lineman. And that's a big loss. And then I guess Roshan Johnson got banged up too, who I think is a really, really good RB two for them. And, and really brings a ton of uh, leadership to that team. So yeah, man, a rough weekend for the Texas Longhorns. Damn. It also, and I don't know, like what you can take from it, but uh, it sounds like all the rumors coming out of like the Texas message boards and everything is that Hudson Card's the better player so far, which isn't shocking because the other kid has zero experience. So, um, yeah, and zero experience in the offense. Right. Right. So, yeah, that it's not that big of a shock to hear that, especially early on in camp, but. Uh, noteworthy nonetheless. Yeah. Rough, rough weekend for Steve Sarkeesian. So that'll be, uh, that'll be certainly be something we're monitoring, looking, uh, you know, moving forward. All right. Let's get to my winner and loser. But first, First Fidelity Bank is a full service financial institution based in Oklahoma with a tailored solution for all your personal and business needs checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And if you're a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing. Head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products. 
you got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was just voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate, and you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. You Also, you got to snag some of Balcones Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. And that is why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcones Pot Still Bourbon. It's big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. Remember in 2012, Balcones Single Malt won the best-in-class competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, then Balcones products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners, yeah, they're from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit balconesdistilling.com. All right, for my winner of the weekend, thought about going with sports gamblers. Ted, do you see what you see what Greg Sankey said about March Madness? I did. I did. It's fascinating. Hadn't he said previously that he was like wanted to get rid of like the automatic bids or something? Oh, he basically I think he basically wants more teams from the Power 5 making it. Right. So, I it his comments have been interpreted uh, basically him saying, Hey, let's expand the field and let's make more TV money. And if there are more games, there are more games to gamble on for sports gamblers. Right. And people tend to love gambling on March madness. So that, that was something that caught a lot of people's attention over the weekend. Yeah. I, Hey, I'm for it. Expand it. I've got no problem with that. I think one of the things that they should do though, uh, my only beef with the March Madness is I think it lasts too long and you have this huge groundswell of people watching the first weekend and then it all like steadily fades after that. I think they should pack it in into like a more condign- confined time to keep all the fans engaged in it. But that's just me. So you and Greg Sankey differ. <laughs> he he wants to have like 96 teams in and yeah. play way more games. Yeah. And I assume it would stretch, stretch out a little longer. Spring but, madness. No more March madness. It's yeah. Fake. It happens all spring. Yeah. The, the, the final, the, the championship games already played in April. So, right. <laughs> but my, my winner of the weekend, Mark Stoops, man, standing up for his program. I loved it. So if you missed it, John Calipari, the basketball coach, at Kentucky, he was he was quoted in an article by The Athletic saying, quote, this is a basketball school. No disrespect to our football team. I hope they win 10 games and go to bowls, but this is a basketball school. Well, e- even though Cal said no offense, Mark Stoops was offended, Ted, and he let him know about it, and I really – I really had no problem with it. I mean, fires back on Twitter and said, quote, basketball school. I thought we compete in the SEC hashtag four straight postseason wins, which, by the way, is just that's one hell of a hashtag for Mark Stoops to just throw out there. That's that's pretty good. But there's there's some drama between Kentucky's football coach and Kentucky's basketball coach. We don't see this every day, man. No, 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 no. I, I don't know. I don't know where this is is coming from you know it seems it seems strange and calipari said something recently too that was i thought was weird he he put a tweet out there about who were they going to play gonzaga or something and he was complaining about how small their arena was and didn't want to play them i don't know there's been some weird stuff coming from 
Calipari recently. It, that seems like a weird way. Yeah, the to, the whole to try thing. And get something. Yeah. yeah, the whole thing is like the the football program got green lit for you know for some some big time upgrades, and Calipari he wants he wants a new practice facility. And I I don't know why he thought belittling the football program was the way to get that, but it's kind of the approach he took and Mark Stoops was not having it, man. And he, Mark Stoops didn't apologize. He addressed the media on Saturday about it. And he was kind of like, Hey, I stay in my lane, but I'm defending my players and defending the work we put in. And I love this quote he had. Don't demean or distract from the hard work and the dedication and the commitment that people have done to get to this point. I don't need to apologize for that, and I won't. That's right. Yep, that's right. And, you know, basketball, college basketball is great and all, and Kentucky's had a really nice run of it. They've done some really good things, but the football program puts food on the table whether you want to believe that or not there at Kentucky. I, I was trying to think of, okay, what, what are legitimate like basketball schools? And there are a couple of what that are still in the big East, like where they don't have FBS football, right? Like Villanova. Right. But when you talk about the power five, every school is a football school, even Kansas, <laughs> like, I, or maybe you, you'd have to take a closer look at Kansas's financials. Well, maybe that's not true, but they get that forty million dollar Big Twelve payout because, because of, football. of football. That's where that comes from. Yeah, and the it's the same with Kentucky. Is, yeah, it, it the, it's a piece of the pie, but those big massive contracts that's coming from from football. Yeah, so I I thought that was uh that was pl- pretty hilarious, and and Cal put out a tweet that basically said, "Hey, my bad." I've supported Mark and the football team through good and bad. I will continue to support them and cheer them on, but we know how he really feels. We don't, he, that's damage control. We know how he really feels. Yep. Yep. And whenever you have to put that tweet out there, that's just, oh, that stings, right? I, I bet Mark Stoops is more dedicated than ever to because people love football in Kentucky and couple 10 win seasons. You know, they're, they're going to be good this year, too. If, if Calipari doesn't get it together, they may be looking like they may be a football school. That's right. So we'll see. All right. For my loser of the weekend, I, man, I, I thought about going with Fernando Tatis Jr. Suspended 80 games for testing positive for Clostable. I don't know if that, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but. It said he took a medication for ringworm that resulted him in testing positive for that banned substance. Uh, not even going to appeal it. His Padre teammates were pretty critical of him. It was just seems like a disaster of a situation. Yeah, is there's some interesting quotes coming out of that. I guess uh, I guess the the idea around there is he needs to grow up and needs to really quickly. Yeah, and they're giving him what three hundred and was it like 60 million dollars or something he's a hell of a player there you cannot doubt that he is a hell of a player and he's entertaining to watch man he's a lot of fun to watch play baseball so that's got to be super frustrating for them because he was just just about to work back in right this is 
yeah. this was going to be his first time bouncing back. So, yeah, brutal. I thought we were going to get to see him and Juan Soto and all that. And nope, eighty games. It's a lot. <laughs> That's a uh... ringworm medication. Really? Come on. I mean, I, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna believe that, but I mean, it is what it is. Well, whatever it is, it's costing him a ton of money. I, I don't know what his yearly payout works out to, but whoo, losing half of it is going to be brutal. Should have just, should have just left the, let the ringworm ride. <laughs> Use some dial soap. You'll be okay. Yeah. All right. But my loser of the weekend. Zach Wilson in the New York Jets. When when you think about a worst case scenario going into a preseason game, it is your quarterback out running in the open field and then crumbling as he changes directions oh, with a non-contact dude. knee injury. Now, luckily, it sounds like he's just going to have to get scoped maybe out two to four weeks. It's just a meniscus. Right and with the injury that he suffered against the Eagles, but it, it we all thought ACL when it happened. It's never good when it's non-contact like that. But Robert Sala, he interesting quote from him about it, where he said we're optimistic, but he's not out of the woods until they get in there and make the decision. So I'm not sure if. They didn't get a great read on the MRI. And if the surgeons open that knee up and take a look and they realize maybe there is a little more damage than just that meniscus, all of a sudden, I mean, Zach Wilson, I'm not saying he's going to miss the season or anything, but, and this could be even more serious than they think. Like the early reaction was, oh, thank goodness he didn't tear his ACL. But then I saw that, that quote from Salah and I was like, uh, that doesn't sound good. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you never know. And man, you, that would be brutal for them if that happened and brutal for, for Zach Wilson, because it looks like uh, from everything you read and hear that he's, he was really starting to turn some heads and some guys were really starting to believe in him as, as a young quarterback. So I don't know, hopefully good, good news. What is it? Four, four weeks. Is that what they said? Possibly two to four. That's what they yeah. said. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, in in just a few days, you lose Mackay Becton, and you lose Zach Wilson. Uh, I I wonder if I wonder if the Jets feel like they're cursed right now. I don't know. Uh, the answer to that is probably a screaming yes. Um, that's that's not good. It's not good, <laughs> but hey, 37 year old Joe Flacco taking over, baby. Nothing to worry about. I'm, I'm interested to see what O'Flacco's still got. See if he can still rip that ball down the field. I know I he could barely move as a 25 year old. I'm interested to see how he moves as a 37 year old. It'll it'll be interesting. I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, they signed Dwayne Brown. So we'll see if. Uh, if Dwayne Brown can also, you know, play at a play at a high level, he's getting up there as well. I, but listen, Jets haven't been to the playoffs since 2010, and for this stuff to be happening in the preseason, that fan base they just <laughs> they got to be in a bad place, man. Just a bad place. Frustrating. Frustrating. Yeah. 
All right, episode 240 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Wednesday, Thursday. We haven't decided. It'll either be Wednesday around noonish or late Wednesday like normal. Not sure. You can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on 94.7 The Ref. You can hear me from 3 to 5 on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great week. And until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. You always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more time.